Spiel Boys watching Stevie's movies. Spiel Boys watching Stevie's movies. Spiel Boys watching Stevie's movies. Spiel Boys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. Guess who's in the house, baby? Oh, uh, no. Oh, it's me oh, and you no. in a house. The, I don't the know. Spielboys. <laughs> Spielboys. <laughs> right. You know, it's we're Spielboys and we're watching Stevie's movies. Yes. It's it's I'm, so elegant. <laughs> I'm your I'm one of your certified boys, mm-hmm. Abe Epperson. I'm a second more more journeyman, more 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 apprentice boy. Uh, <laughs> apprentice boy. <laughs> apprentice boy. That's not true. Don't sell yourself short. <laughs> uh, I'm Tom Ryman. Uh a Spielberg. <gasps> A Spielboy. We're so excited about this. And I want to take a moment and kind of tell you all about like kind of the story of this podcast mm-hmm. coming to be. The tale so, of the podcast. The tale, like real quick, Tom and I used to do a podcast uh, for another company. And like that company, like, you know, said goodbye to us. And uh, we originally pitched that uh, podcast, which was called The Cracked Movie Club. Mm-hmm. Um, we originally pitched it as a Spielberg podcast, but they altered it just to do like, okay, every month you're going to do a different director. But we always have wanted to just talk about Spielberg ever since Tom and I have met, we kind of immediately clicked on, Oh, are you like a, a Spielberg scholar? Do you like to just like read about Spielberg? Are you and a we're like, Spielboy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, turns out uh, it was a match made in heaven. So here, and this is the product of that. Uh, this is the audio product of that. That's a beautiful, that's a beautiful introduction. Thank you. Yeah, no. So, so, mm. so now they all know. They all know the tale of the Spiel Boys, uh, mm. how they came mm-hmm. to be. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, so uh, cool. So why Spielberg? Yeah. Why Spiel Boys? Why Spielberg? I don't know. I don't it, know. I don't know. I don't know. I think you'll see a little bit of our like. Uh, hopefully, you'll see the charm of like us talking about. It. We both really like the guy. Mm-hmm. You know, like he. He obviously, I think for. For mostly boys of our age, yeah. uh, was the guy he he crafted our childhood. Yeah, everything uh, I watched was called, growing up was uh, had his fingerprints on it in some way. Right, rightfully so. He was famously called time and time again the Walt Disney of live action, and you know everyone here listening has seen one of his movies, if not most of them, yeah. just because he's so important to culture so we thought we'd do kind of not really a deep dive but kind of an examination of like uh who's the spielberg guy let's take a movie of his and let's talk about how he makes his movies and kind of the behind the scenes and just like who spielberg Mm -hmm. is as a kind of spielberg class of of some kind like just you know random tidbits that you might find interesting along the way of like what made this guy so goddamn popular and it's specific man it was just like for a 10-year stretch there it was the 80s really that that really minted Mm -hmm. him as just the guy yeah yeah and we're going to talk about some of his earlier films and we'll kind of get into the background of like how he came to be as an artist but we decided to choose one for this episode our first episode um that is uh kind of more in the middle ground but i like i 
I like it because it really shows off a lot of characteristics of what makes Spielberg Spielberg. And so we chose for this one, 1991's Hook. Yeah. yeah. Uh, not known as one of his best. <laughs> no, I think you can't say that this was his first flop because it wasn't. It made um, way a lot of its money back, so it did. It made a decent amount of money, but it did. It did not perform the way it was expected to. It, it is. It is viewed by many as a flop, but it's not. It wasn't mm-hmm. as like he he had he had had a few missteps earlier in his career, but I think this might have been the the first like event film that he made that right. didn't connect the way that a Spielberg event film was sort of expected to. Right. Right. So I figure we should just get into it, and uh, we we have a segment now that we're creating, which kind of <laughs> talks about the context and the background of where Spielberg was as an artist, and like just like you know the history uh, of like where he was during these years. In a segment we like to call Amblin Man. Eh? He's, yeah. This is Amblin. He's get going it. through life. And also, it's Amblin. You, you get it. Uh, See, it's Amblin Pictures, and Amblin was the name of his short <laughs> film. See, guys, it all connects. We're it killing all connects. It. We're killing it. We're, oh, we're, we're really good. We're the best Spielboys. <laughs> we're so good at it. I just imagine us <laughs> in a boat, just just cutting through the waves towards sunset. Yep. And the sun, of course, is Spielberg, and we're just we're at full mast. Yep. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I am indeed at full mast. Oh, uh, man, we're so excited. I love this. I love yeah. this. Uh, so let's talk about, uh, like, what were the, f- uh, Tom, what were, like, mm-hmm. the films before this? Like, what were, like, the last, like, three films he worked on? Uh, the last three films would have been um, Empire of the Sun, Always, and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Um, which it. is interesting Nailed because it. there's a middle chunk there between... Temple of Doom and Last Crusade was mm-hmm. when Spielberg kind of tried to break away from his theme park four quadrant blockbusters and try to make more, you know, smaller dramas like that. There's a, there's right. a stretch of three movies. Uh, it's The Color Purple, Empire of the Sun, and Always, which are small dramas, <clears throat> and I don't right. think any of them really did very well. <laughs> they didn't do because like yeah, and he had this. Like going even back further, he had this ho- notion of not wanting to be typecast. Like that was very important to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll kind of examine how that went all along his career. But at this time, like when he made Jaws, for example, uh, in 77, it was like, oh, 75, 75. Sorry. Uh, then he was like, oh, I don't want to be known as like a horror director. Right. Because he and almost he, he almost was like he was getting right, horror offers right. after that. And then a few years later, in 82, when he did E.T., he also felt like, okay, I'm starting... I have a lot of sci-fi ideas. I do like the Twilight Zone. But I'm a little worried that I'm going to become, like, that guy, too. Like, where I'm... Like, I I think that... Like, I think he had a lot of... um, He had a really good relationship with uh, uh, George Lucas. And he definitely, I think, thought that that was always his uh area you know like george lucas definitely was sci-fi always sci-fi but um you know spielberg definitely was trying to do something different trying to show that he had range and so he made a series of uh like films like always with richard dreyfus uh you know like there there's a lot of um i'm just going to make these smaller very very adult dramas the color purple empire of the sun even though empire of the sun's about a a little boy it's still adult ideas 
Right. And there was this um there's this uh phrase that I ran into a few times uh like reading about Spielberg which is that several times in his career he felt artistically stalled. And this is one of those moments right before Hook where I think he because he was talking about a lot of adult themes we see the kind of um introduction or the reintroduction rather if you really think of uh, ET as a part of this like coda mm-hmm. uh in terms of his films where he wanted to kind of talk to children he wanted to make a film for children about children you know like uh and he wanted to talk about themes that would you know be family oriented uh and less like uh, adult specific and i think that that's what hook was to him and that's why he took on this uh this project um because i think that he wanted to have kind of a return i think he had had his fill with some of the adult themes he did come back to it you know in terms of like obviously he made schindler's list you know there's munich and stuff like that he's always going to be playing with that but the reason i think we chose hook first uh is that there's something about at least for the audience for you know these two old joes (laughs) over here uh i i feel like there's something about his children's movies and I think it's near and dear to what makes Spielberg Spielberg. And I think that this is him going, I want to kind of make a mark in that again. Yeah, it, it's, I think it's it's interesting. Well, I mean, we'll get into this a little bit in, in later sections, but he had circled a, pre, a Peter Pan movie before this uh, and then walked mm-hmm. away from it. Um, but I think, and, and, and again, we'll talk, this is more stuff we're going to talk about later, but like Hook is a movie about returning to your childhood in a lot of ways. It's a, right. it's a movie about nostalgia, which we'll, we'll discuss. But um, I think the reason why he's so good at, at speaking to children about, you know, he makes movies that are for children and about things that children deal with is it's the themes that he chooses to explore are really resonant ones. Like E.T. is a lot about like divorce and like hook is about from the child's point of view, parents that don't have, don't when you're drifting away from your parents, like every kid experiences that uh, Mm -hmm. as they get older. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. those are things that are always going to matter to you when you go back and watch them. So you'll still feel that connection to it. It's not, they're not emotions you grow out of. They're, they're very profound emotions. It just, because you're experiencing them, experiencing them as a child doesn't make them childish. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I think that's one of the aspects of the Peter Pan, like kind Mm -hmm. of mythos is that it is about like an adult reexamining what it meant to be like a boy. Uh, but all at the same time now with age, having a different lens of like, Oh, I can live vicariously through my mm-hmm. children as well. Um, and I think that he was dealing with that. Like, I can't remember exactly where he was as a family man at this point. Um, cause what, you know, this 91 is, like 90, is when this comes out. So he's he's got a few out, kids so at this point. 89. He's yeah. So he's probably been kicking these around um, for a few times, and he, he really he really kind of goes for it. Um, to be honest, it's one of those types of things where like usually in adult film they really go for it. Like I want to really hit the theme specifically, uh, and we're going to talk more about some of the themes in the movie in a bit. But I just wanted to say like. It is crazy how he, uh, I think it's a part of him as an artist that he's going to really cut through 
uh, Spielberg really does, I think, consider himself a deep man. Um, I think that, like, for example, in this movie, at one point, Hook whispers in Maggie and Jack's ears, uh, maybe speaking of his of his uh, of Jack's parents maybe they had maybe before they had you your parents mm-hmm. were happier i mean yes this is a this is a film that very much is happy perky everything is bright and wonderful um but at the heart of it there actually are some darker there's kind darkness of there's pensiveness there's it's there's a lot it's very yeah. bittersweet uh, there's a lot of Oh, and we'll get into that when we get to the themes, of course. But I, I really do. I also, I'm glad you flagged that scene because that scene's really interesting to me. I mean, first of all, it's just a great scene. But um, <clears throat> it's it, like they he, Hook is very cynical about it, but he's genuinely cynical about it because at one point I think mm-hmm. the little girl Maggie says, "You're a liar." When he says that, and he's like, "No, I never lie." And you can take that as as Hook just being the bad guy. But I think he really doesn't believe he's lying. He's like, no, your parents obviously yeah, were happier so. before you were born. And this is why <laughs> like, and I'm yeah. a very honest man. So like contextually, yeah, maybe I lie once in a while, but yeah. compared to your parents, I don't lie at all, which is kind it's of a, a complex It's a complex thing, thought but to introduce to children. And it's a thought you start to have at the age that Jack's at. Exactly. That's the thing is that I think Spielberg's so good because he can identify this is something that is complex, but it's something that kids can mm-hmm. they understand. They can kind of conceptualize this. And I think that that is that's kind of the magic sauce. Uh, you know, like he really does know kids um, and he you you can I mean, you, we're going to talk about it ad nauseum. So is there anything else you want to kind of talk about just to put this in context? I think I, mean, I think the only other the only thing, thing to mention of... is I believe and this is obviously I don't know the man I'm, you know, um, but judging by mm-hmm. uh, some interviews, he gives both contemporary contemporarily and then uh, later on, like retrospectively about the making of Hook. I feel like this was a period of exhaustion for Spielberg and it comes through a lot in the film. Like this is a very imperfect film and I'm sure we're going to talk about that. Uh, It has a, it has a few pretty big problems. Um, Yeah. Um, yeah. Regardless, $70 million budget earned 300, got nominated for five Academy Awards. (laughs) Still a pretty good outing for going. Yeah, it's still I love that it lost production. Well, I mean, I guess we'll talk about it. I don't know where else we'll talk about it, but it lost like production design to Bugsy, which is funny to me. (laughs) Yeah. You know, the 90s is a hell of a time. (laughs) You know, that cultural touchstone, Uh, Bugsy. (laughs) All it had to do was imagine Los Angeles 40 years ago. Forty years ago. <laughs> Meanwhile, yeah, they're doing yeah, some like, of the yeah, big this, builds. This, this was a monster done. build, which uh, I'm sure we're going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we will. Uh, but right now, I kind of just because we we're starting to creep into it, uh, I feel like we can go yeah. to our next segment. Yeah, and this one we like to discuss synops- the synopsis of the film more or less, uh, and you know, let's get back into the themes and talk a little bit about the execution. This is mostly about the movie mm-hmm. itself, the what you watch and what you you know see and the interesting aspects of that. And this segment we call uh, You're Doing It, <laughs> You're Stevie. You're Doing It, Stevie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, got it. It's taken from this film. Um, yeah. All right. <laughs> 
Uh, oh man! Well, let's uh, let's what's what's hook about? What's what's what? What, 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 what is your hook? You seen this? You heard about this? <laughs> you seen this? You heard about this? <laughs> you heard about this hook? All right. Um, yeah. I'll sort of take I'll sort of take the lead here. Um, okay, so hook. Uh, it's it's about Peter Banning. This uh, he's a lawyer working for you know he does mergers and acquisitions. So he's like the modern day version of a pirate. Um, and he's a family man that doesn't have any time for his two young children. Uh, it's we're, we're introduced to him at uh, a school play where his young daughter is is playing Wendy in a, in a version of Peter Pan, uh, which is you know obviously it's it's foreshadowing, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Um, but he's on his phone the whole time trying to muscle through this billion dollar deal that he has to close before he leaves for London for Christmas. Um, I think Christmas. Mm-hmm. It seemed I have always assumed it was oh yeah, there's a Christmas tree yeah. in that scene that Phil Collins is in. There's a Christmas tree, yeah. It's not very Christmassy, but you know, it does yeah. everything looks magical in this film, so it like relatively Christmas does yeah, not impress. And I think it was <laughs> because I think everything's yeah, it's just a whole lot of whimsy. Uh and I think it was released in November, so it was like it was like a holiday release. So and I just associate this film mm. with Christmas. It might not take place at Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> no, I yeah, it uh, it released in December actually, uh, early December. So, yeah, it definitely was trying to go for the uh, for the Christmas okay. money. As he is yeah. wont to do. Got to get them Christmas bucks, them spiel bucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. Okay, so uh he talks on his phone all through his daughter's play. He misses his son's baseball game the next morning because he has to go make this meeting and his son very mm. much resents him. Like his son is older, like Maggie's the Maggie's the younger daughter. She's maybe six or seven, but Jack is like 10 or 11. Mm. He's getting to the age where he's going to start to have friction with his parents and start to be distant with his parents. And it's, it's, they, they don't, they have a very strained relationship. Uh, so they're flying right. out to London to meet grandma, Wendy, Dame Maggie Smith, uh, who is, we, we learned that Peter was an orphan. Uh, grandma Wendy took him in, uh, and he's going there to help dedicate a new wing. I think. Hos- I think the it's like the hospital. whole hospital. Okay. Uh, yeah. Dedicating a hospital to her and all the great charity work she's done with, uh, taking in orphans and racing orphans for the past. Very old orphans, right, by the way. Right. It's she like, must be like 150 years old. She's like 150 because they're all 80. Her ancient orphans. She's <laughs> all these old dusty old Smith. orphans. <laughs> yeah. They all still, stand uh, looking like wizards. Mm-hmm. But she's still like very, uh, very smart, very quick. Um, she sees right through Peter. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, Peter, he's, yeah, he's, he's so occupied with work. He screams at his kids. It's just a lot of, it's, it's very clear that it's, we're meant to understand he is completely absorbed by work and is neglecting his family. And is at one point his wife takes him aside and she's like, look, we only have a couple of years where these kids even want us around. So that, and that's another like complex thought to throw at children, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, it's like still family theme, but not even movies that are like talking about parenthood will examine it in that way or say it in that way. You know, they'll maybe like think about it, you know, but um, this movie straight up goes like you are fucking this up in like 10 years. They're not going to want to be with you. And that's like even less time than that. Like like Jack's 10 or 11 in three years. He's not going to want anything to do with you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They're going to be teenagers. Teenagers suck, man. (laughs) They don't want you (laughs) around at all. 
uh, and then he goes so, to college, yeah. and then it's over. Like you've missed it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so mm-hmm. yeah, that mm-hmm. is like heavy shit. Like this movie throws, like for yeah. uh, the 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 whimsy that that we all sort of remember and have nostalgia for. There's a lot of like sad thoughts in this and then you know bittersweet yeah. it's just because that's just life that's what life is but it you know mm-hmm. it's it's part of the theme of the movie so uh they go off to their uh, dedication ceremony and leave the kids at home the kids get uh magically kidnapped magically abducted yeah suddenly and yeah. magically <laughs> very suddenly and magically <laughs> uh it's never really made clear how hook is like spying on the real world and how he's able to easily travel back and forth he he doesn't seem like he has he doesn't have flying magic uh he doesn't have a like a tink that can like crop dust him you know like so did he get here in a boat that flies like i don't know how he he got up to there yeah we just we never we never see him in the real world and they just kind of but he's kind of yada yada over it (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he abducts them and leaves a note basically saying Peter's got to come back to Neverland and finish the fight that we started all those years ago uh, or else you're never going to see your kids again um, so you know obviously they call the police because that's what you do and detective Phil Collins shows up um, oh. which I want to flag right away because this movie has some truly bananas cameos in it yeah yeah some more famous than others yeah. but oh man <laughs> like there's six Academy Award winners in yeah. this film. Uh, and more than more it's, than it's one musician. Insane. David Crosby is a featured pirate mm-hmm. in this movie. And he and it is perfect because he looks exactly like a pirate. I've always thought He gets thought rocked so. in the balls by one of the lost boys. Yes, he does. <laughs> it's Take that, David rocks. Crosby. Crosby steals and smash. Yeah. God damn. What a, what a time to be alive. What a set to be on. You know, cinematographer Dean Cundy is just sitting there capturing a shot of like, what'd you do today? I filmed a... Uh, Crosby getting kicked in the nads. <laughs> oh, what a life! What are you gonna do next? I want to see. I want to see the, the the behind the scenes footage of that scene of them explaining. Okay, David, David Crosby, uh, in this scene, we're filming today. We're filming the scene where your nuts get destroyed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your 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 dick is gonna be annihilated yeah. by these plucky so, children. Yeah. So the first AD walks over. So this is the boy that's going to be absolutely pulverizing your nutsack. <laughs> Uh, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Okay. Leans well, over the kid. Really liquefy it. Just really, just really, really go, go for it. For it. <laughs> really punish David Crosby. It's like you. They all also a lot of the kids are like. Some of them are newsies. <laughs> Some of them are like completely different things. It's just a smorgasbord. Yeah, board one of them is a of gangster. It's like, <laughs> you got it. You got it, Crosby. <laughs> I'll get right on it. Smash those nuts like you wouldn't yeah, believe. Yeah, David Crosby's nuts. We don't need him no more. Um, no. All right. So he they they call the police. Phil Collins shows up. They're like, yeah, what can we really right. do? Uh, and then Tinkerbell shows up. Well, uh, well, well, first Ma- uh, Maggie, Grandma Wendy explains to Peter that he's actually Peter Pan um, from the stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's actually Wendy. And that he stayed uh, and grew up because he fell in love with Wendy's granddaughter, who is his wife, Moira. <clears throat> but he's forgotten yeah, all of it. Real, uh, yeah, real kinky Neverland stuff. Neverland has um, this sort of uh, like lotus eater quality to it, where it like it, your memory starts to fade the longer you're there, which is it like pretty yeah, instantly. Pretty instantly. Yeah. 
like the more you remember it, the less you remember of other stuff. You know, it seems to be like a almost one to one. Yeah, thing. and that ties into the themes of nostalgia and looking looking back instead mm-hmm. of looking ahead. Um, right, exactly. But uh, so he kind of doesn't like. He immediately is like, uh, Moira, I think your grandmother's having a stroke. <laughs> Right. Uh, so he goes up to the kid's room and, and starts getting hammered. Uh, Tinkerbell shows up and beats the shit out of him and carries him off to Neverland. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah, basically. After uh, he denies her a few times, she just says, you know what? Fuck this shit. I'm going to just take you straight, straight to Neverland. And yeah, let's just all carries him to Neverland wrapped up in a sheet. It's very funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she, she takes them directly i guess she, I, I at this point tinkerbell thinks uh played by julia roberts thinks that uh you know like maybe pan is yeah still like there. as soon as he gets the, uh, yeah but she does she does say at one point when she's like knocked into the dollhouse like you really have forgotten so she is aware that he's not exactly himself uh, but she takes him directly to the pirate haven or whatever, uh, and it's just like w- take him, take him to the lost boys. I guess she, what are you doing? She's like trying you know, to like, push him in the deep end. Well, like yeah, one of the, I guess one of the guess. Uh, one of the issues with this movie is th- that Tinkerbell doesn't really make a lot of sense. Yeah, she kind of is at the whim of like just pushing yeah. things forward. Um, they give her an arc that is kind of <laughs> very, very kind of brief rough, to be and not really set up or, or executed terribly well. She truly is. She only right. appears in scenes to nudge the movie along. That's like her function in the film. Right. Um, but yes, yeah, so for right. some reason she drops Peter directly on pirate wharf uh, and he immediately mm. gets robbed. <laughs> so she, she has to yeah. beat the shit out of some pirates and then disguise him. He wanders onto Captain Hook's ship, and this is where we finally meet Captain Hook, um, who is played by Dustin Hoffman. Mm. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a very, very fun performance. You know, uh, d- really Dustin good. Hoffman's, uh, you know... Uh, sort of uh, he, he's 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 has some credible ac- accusations of misconduct against him so that stuff notwithstanding it's still a fun performance right. um and also bob hoskins as smee who is just delightful he's probably my favorite person in this film <laughs> oh he's, he's fucking killing the best he's the best uh, just as I'm sh- sure you have this story too, but I just think it's apt right now. Like they're both actors, actors. And so they were like really preparing and you can really see it. They both have very deliberate mm-hmm. things that they do. And at one point, both of them were like, Oh, we get it. These yeah, guys are gay. We should like, we should play this up. And they go to Steven Spielberg and they're like, so we realize these guys are gay. And he straight face to them said this is a children's movie they're best <laughs> friends <laughs> and it's just like i just think about oh, okay steven that's how steven spielberg's mind works i see it now i see it now you know all these these shakespearean actors really uh you know doing this like we f- are excited about a thing that we found <clears throat> they still no, do shut it the fuck up. <laughs> and i've seen i've seen they versions of that yeah. story where it's they it's it's uh Spielberg interceding when it's like during filming and they're kind of really playing into it and he finally has to say guys it's a children's movie. <laughs> right. Yeah, that just that yeah, tickles it's, me it's, that story. Uh, yeah, it's a delightful story about the making of Hook. <laughs> just a 
but I yeah, mean, it's yeah. Yeah. it comes My it bad. comes let's across continue. like yeah, they're they're yeah, it does. They're very larger than life in terms of like their choices. Mm. Um, so it fits pretty perfectly that they would like be in simpatico. You know, like they they're both the biggest performances in the thing. Even more, and this is a film with Robin Williams. Yeah, so Robin like, Williams. You, know, you, you see why they picked him because yeah. his manic sort of rapid fire stream of consciousness is perfect for a, a hyperactive child. So when he does mm-hmm. get into his Peter Pan mode, it works. But for most of the movie, he's very understated. Like he's acting in this movie. Very subdued. He's a very yeah, subdued performance. Fact, it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the he we. He, we're, we we meet Hook. He's sort of uh, grandstanding to his crew. He's like, hey, I stole Peter Pan's kids. We're finally going to get to finish that war. He's going to be here any second. It's going to be fucking awesome. But yeah, one of you... I was promised a yeah, war. Yeah, he does. <laughs> I deserve this war with children. Listen, <laughs> when you're stuck in Neverland, uh, all you got is stabbing kids. Man. Yeah, so he's got to like, really, he's got to really make a meal out of it. <laughs> Man, the original story, real dark. Yeah. I can't believe we uh, teach this to children. Uh, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> but this is where we get the, uh, you know, the unforgettable Glenn Close cameo as the pirate who gets stuffed in the boo box. Mm-hmm. Um, She's, you can't even, you can barely tell. It's amazing. It's, yeah, I didn't know until a few years ago that that I was Glenn Close. I had to read it, like, online or something at some point. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it was no way you could have told me, like, that's Glenn Close. She's, she's like, like no, wearing that's... a beard. I think she even has false teeth in. She has false teeth. Yeah. yeah, she her and she, you know, just so good at acting, is able to change the register of her voice. And uh, you know, it's just pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty it's, cool stuff. It's a bizarre cameo. I have no idea why she's in it, but it's it's one of the most memorable parts of the film. You know, it's the thing that people I remember. Mean, there were the so box. many people stopping by just like the re- yeah, I mean, we'll get into it later, but a lot of people stopped by because this is one of the biggest, like, literal productions uh, around at the time. You know, just in terms of studio, uh, there's a lot of people who are like, what's Steven Spielberg working on? Yeah, can I get in there? <laughs> can I get in there, you know? Um, so, yeah, he, he brings the, the kids down. They're in a net. And Peter uh, immediately throws away his disguise, which is a good you know, because of course you would. Um, and there's a very, it's interesting. The scene is like both funny in that, uh, Captain Hook simply can't believe this is Peter Pan. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's one part where he's like, I'm Peter Banning and these are my kids. He's like, your Pete, these are your kids. These are your kids. Your Peter. (laughs) Like he really just can't handle it. Yeah. Because it fucks up his entire plan, you know? Yeah, it is. And, and it's so it's both funny from that perspective, but it's also like it's a painful sequence because Peter is so, uh, I don't want to say pathetic, but it's close to pathetic. It's like he's not, he's trying to deal with this problem in the way that he deals with problems back home, which is just <clears throat> a lot of bluster and like, I'm a lawyer. Well, he does the one unforgivable sin that you see in Neverland, which is he refuses to play. Um, yeah. and that's only at the like kind of midpoint where we see him play, do we realize that like now anything can happen and obviously, you know, your imagination can free your everything and your dreams, uh, and all that stuff that the, the, the film is good about. But until then we have to kind of like pull Peter there and that's kind of when Tink gets involved. Cause Tink kind of says like, yeah, that's not Peter, uh, but give me three days and I'll give you a pan and you'll have your war. 
Mm-hmm. And that's when Hook is kind of like, okay, I'm down. So then we kind of have a ticking clock that you don't really feel uh, because like big steps are made very quickly as soon as, um, you know, Peter arrives in like, what do we call the land and the, the island in which the lost boys are the I, lost I boy know. compound. I mean, uh, frankly, they're, they're like treehouse playgrounds. Yeah, it's uh, frankly looks like a state fair. It really does feel like a child cult, so I'm going to treat it as such. Uh, so, yeah, even uh, so he's brought there. He, like, finds his way magically. Some mermaids are involved, very hot mermaids that kiss him. You know. in, a, in a very obvious pool. Like, it's, mm, yeah. that's, it's a rough sequence. <laughs> yeah, I felt like uh, that, yeah, you know, Stevie's a little horny that day, I guess. <laughs> Something, you know, they decided to make. Uh, well, I get it. It's, yeah, it's, I get it. You want to have shit. the mermaids in it because it's, it's Peter Pan. But it's, yeah. that sequence always felt so weird to me. I don't it's know. It's just very, it's a big offer very soon. Happened yeah, over very quickly. And it, yeah. um, but he like finds his way to the island and like. Tink is there to kind of support him, but knows that in the end, nothing's going to convince the lost children, uh, the lost boys, other than him actually just acting and being Pan. So she's more on the sidelines saying, like, give him a chance and stuff. Uh, And all it really takes is one boy, uh, as we learn. All it takes is one imagination. That's kind of one of the themes of this movie. Uh, For the... Uh, for the children to kind of, they build the system where they draw a line in the sand and it's like, who believes who? And the first kind of iteration of this is like Peter's himself still doesn't believe it, but a little boy like plays with his face and decides, Oh, I see. There you are, Peter. Like someone believes in Peter and that starts to rally a few of the children to his side. But no one is really convinced that this is Peter Pan. There's a lot of work to be done, right? Yeah. And this is Meanwhile, also this is our also where we meet Rufio. We would be, yeah, we would be remiss Ru- if we did not over. mention Rufio. Who's who's the new Pan? Yeah. Uh, and this is the Rufio. 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 It's amazing. I wanted as a child to have his skateboard. It's like a, it has like have, a sail on so it. Good. He's cool as shit. So He's cool. fucking Rufio. Fucking Rufio, man. Uh, He's the coolest. Like so even cool. even rewatching this movie as a thirty eight year old man, I'm like, man, Rufio's the coolest. <laughs> right. Like it, like if karma's real and if I die and I become Rufio, like I fucking killed it. Yeah, as I, far nailed as I'm it. I nailed it. I nailed it. Thank like, you for this. Rufio's gift. cooler than all of us. Yeah. Rufio's the coolest. Uh, even though he dies in this movie, he died, spoilers. He, he kind of yeah. <laughs> he gets murdered. He by kind of gets shafted. He's been taking just, care of these kids ever since Peter left them, mm-hmm. and then he sort of yeah. just has to stand aside uh even though peter's just gonna leave immediately again and then he gets it's killed just, it truly is a horrifying purgatory for rufio yeah. <laughs> uh but there we are meanwhile we're kind of intercutting these sequences as peter's trying to get to know him his old self uh we have the loss of his children remembering him and that is done via uh you know like a, a hook's elaborate plan to uh, I mean, Maggie immediately uh, yeah, Maggie's, is like Maggie's too young. Like, I fuck think. This guy. Yeah, <laughs> she's too young. She's like, no, 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 no. I know my da- mom loves me. I'm team dad. Yeah. I'm team dad all the way. Yeah. And uh, but Jack, who's been having some issues, uh, is starting to kind of turn to the side of the hook where it's like, yeah, my dad is a dick. 
all the way to the point by the kind of like near the end of the film at the climax where he's like I am home. This is who are who is this man? You know, like so. Yeah, we really and he's see dressed like Captain Hook at the, the end. The kind yeah. of reversal of Neverland's magical power of becoming an adult and becoming a child. This kind of uh, teetering of the scales um, in terms, and it's manifested by your memories and the way in which you act more like a child or more like an adult. And you know, Hook represents the adult um, side of things, and Peter will eventually represent or the lost boys i guess represent uh the children um yeah, i think hook also so represents yeah. that when you get to that point at least hook for jack anyway when you get to mm-hmm. that age where you start to pull away from your family to try to find what your own identity is uh you know what i mean yeah yeah yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely so you, start I mean, getting, movie, you start getting really into punk rock <laughs> this movie really is about peter and jack and yeah like we, we mentioned the theme of reliving your childhood by connecting with your children uh, but for adults, I think kind of, as you said, it's about seeing yourself and your kid and being the adult you need to be for them to be children. That's kind of the, you get two childhoods, you get your childhood and then you get reliving your childhood through living as an adult through your children, mm-hmm. but you can't be a child anymore. It's done that that's kind of all the stuff is bottled up in this basic metaphor between uh, what's happening to Jack versus what's happening to Peter throughout this. Um, it kind of escalates like what scenes do we, I want to speed along a little bit. That's, that's uh, fair. Uh, I think the only, what are the bits that make up act two? Like we have the baseball game. We have yeah, the, the, the baseball the, game's the important fight. The, yeah. The food fight is important. Cause that's when Peter finally starts to play. Yes. And that, that's the first thing that really happens. Yeah. Which is he gets, super angry and it's like yeah this 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 also, whole spread that's nothing it's it's, a, it's imaginary remember. food there's nothing to eat rufio's just fucking torching his ass just dunk after dunk oh, uh and then call and him then, mucus pea brain like a wow well, was once like a, a pimple stained like finger band-aid like he gets real yeah. gnarly with some of them yeah and then so peter starts hitting back and they start getting better and he he throws one out this time that i haven't caught before he he calls rufio a prison barber and i had to pause the movie i saw that i saw <laughs> I it this to time too and i hadn't movie. seen it before I, was like, oh, shit. I think it's the first time i watched it with subtitles and i was prison barber i lost it at that one the first insult he throws out i think is substitute chemistry teacher and like the yes, kids kind of yes. roll with it they're like oh yeah that is kind of lame right <laughs> but yeah he gets there until he becomes equally as crass but even more verbose mm-hmm. than rufio since he's the og he's the pan rufio just has the sword and um so that's like kind of the big like, oh, shit, pins happening yeah. kind of thing. So then they, they but, take um, him down to the wharf to steal Hook's hook. And that's the baseball game, which is when Peter, re- when it finally clicks with Peter that he is losing his son. Yeah. And and there's the little bit with home run Peter versus like run home Peter. And it's like seals the deal that he's like, Hook represents baseball there. He doesn't care, but baseball is winning. Because baseball is a thing that uh, Peter wouldn't do with yeah, his son. It's a very, it's very simple but very important connection. Because Jack, to mm-hmm. to Jack, his relationship with his dad has mm-hmm. come to be. It's it's all contained within P- 
Peter missing the baseball game. So it's it's very monolithic right. for Jack. So anyway, <clears throat> I also want to I, I did want to take this one execution bit on because it will come up time and time again in the in Spielberg. It's one of his superpowers. I want to demystify for people a little bit how Spielberg is in a lot of instances really effective at like getting you on the side of someone that you're you're supposed to be kind of in the middle of right now like he's really good with that act two conflict and one of the things that he does in the baseball scene is that he has off to the side peter looking on and rooting for jack even though he has to be quiet and that's something that spielberg will do time and time again is to kind of a very effective way to get the audience to it's just the basic concept of dramatic mm-hmm. irony. We, as the audience know something that other play, players in the play do not know. Uh, and by using this dramatic irony, he's essentially sealing the deal for us going like, Oh, he does love his son. It's, it's genuine. It's authentic. We're there with that moment, but Jack doesn't get to see it so that later he can unpack and make it so that it's like, don't you remember audience? Not, you know, not Jack. I was this way when you were playing baseball. I'm your true dad. Um, and it's, it may, if you feel vindicated and it's this thing that Spielberg does in act two all the time, especially with his man child characters where it's like, you're, you're acting like a child, but you're a man or vice versa. Uh, he does this a lot. He makes them uh, kind of admirable. And he does this by kind of having an aside. It's kind of a Shakespearean aside of like feelings. He's like, oh, I'm over here having this genuine moment that we all find is endearing. But the reality is no one mm-hmm. else knows about it. I just want to notice that it's like a uh, he he does this all. the yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so the big takeaway is uh, the importance of the scene is, is like we said, Peter uh, realizing he's losing his son. So he returns to the Lost Boys camp determined to fly. And that's when he realizes his happy thought. Uh, uh, is his children specifically being a father mm-hmm. um, he uh, starts to for, like by remembering um, everything that happened to him before in Neverland and, and rediscovering his ability to fly he starts to forget about his kids uh, it's done pretty quickly but it's there uh, so Tink appears one more time grow, uh, embiggens herself uh, to remind him that he's got to mm-hmm. go save his kids now like this is not you're mm-hmm. you're not meant to stay here. You're supposed to go now that you've rediscovered this. But she gets a little piece, she does. you know, before before he yeah. goes. So we know, do we do have to keep in mind, pan. like from the original story, that Tinkerbell uh, is in love with Peter to the point where she tr- she actively tries to murder Wendy a few times. <laughs> like that's who Tinkerbell mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, she sends him on his way. Uh, the, he rallies the lost boys into one final battle against hook. Uh, they storm the pirate wharf. Rufio is killed by hook. Um, uh, in, it's not funny at all, but there's a scene where, where Peter's flying in there to try to, to get there in the nick of time. And he's not able to, Rufio has already been stabbed and he kind of stops and says, <laughs> no, yeah. it's just like his delivery is no! very strange. And, wind, <laughs> and the, the sudden wind that hits his, just him. Like there's like seals yeah. all around him, but like the wind is localized to just his face. It's a very cartoonish moment. It almost yeah. feels like Wiley. It Coyote. does not land. Um, <laughs> 
which is something that we'll talk about yeah. more later about how Looney Tunes influenced Spielberg more than you think. Uh, and that's why he made Animaniacs. Anyway. So yeah, uh, they, they fight. It's their big climactic sword fight. Uh, they fight down into the square uh, uh, where uh, Peter wins, but he's going to just leave because his kids are like, please. Yeah. yeah, he shows him mercy. <laughs> don't, Please don't, don't murder, murder a man, man in front, front of us. Of like us like Maggie walks up and says like, <laughs> yeah. a very power, simple but powerful line that he's just let's, a mean old man who doesn't have a mommy. Let's let's go. Yeah, right. It's very good. Uh, but I do like the idea that they're yeah. very they dance around it. They're like, yeah. you know, let's just maybe go. you don't stab a man go? to death in front let's of your just, children because <laughs> you you definitely think he's gonna kill him because he is dead set on like you're gonna do this to my children because you're yeah, an eternal you're just demon. a bastard <laughs> so i gotta i gotta nip yeah, this motherfucker we gotta take in the butt. this dude out uh, yeah do you think jack's gonna become the next pan hell no he's gonna go to fucking harvard you know like i'm not i am where the yeah, buck stops I'm taking you, you gotta out. go i'm not i'm not um, getting luckily, back to london only to have to call phil collins back to my house <laughs> to investigate another kidnapping <laughs> luckily uh hook is not as uh you know merciful and uh you know good natured or as they say in the movie good form or yeah bad that's form. that's a, a um, lot of the lines that one specifically are direct references to the original novel it's very indicative of like something adults would say um but yeah, he he pulls out another knife. Uh, there's another it's you know, like Assassin's fight. Creed knife Assassin's comes Creed. launching yeah, he, like, out of shoots his it sleeve. Out of his, it's fucking <laughs> awesome. Like, honestly, I want to be a pirate. Yeah, it's pretty movie. sweet. Uh, but, you know, one of, you know, early days. Yeah, it's two, two years before, uh, you know, uh, we get to Jurassic Park. Early days, dinosaur. Uh, we get get the crocodile with the, uh, the you know big clock in its mouth, and like they stab, like the knife is like going everywhere between the two of them because they're kind of struggling with it, and it just absolutely caves in a part of the uh, crocodile's stomach, which I always I always thought was horrifying because it like gives like um, paper mache because it is yeah it's, it's like a, a paper mache crocodile. fucking crocodile. What, what actually he's, he has Peter pinned and he's going to stab him with his hook and then Tinkerbell right. flies in and grabs the hook and it yeah deflects it into right. the croc. Uh, and this wakes up the crocodile. I assume? It starts to deflate it has. because it's stuffed and it falls out of its rigging and lands on a hook and eats him. Yeah, it's unclear to me if this crocodile is alive or dead to this day. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's... Because it belches. It's a, yeah, there's a little burp, and they're like, Hook's gone. Yeah. It's a hand yeah. It's a hand wavy magic thing. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like, I yeah. think he just but, you know, really wanted that moment and was like, well, if, right. if I don't... Captain Hook's got to go via crocodile. Yeah, that's how, that's how it, it happens. Always, yeah. It is how it's always been written. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess he's dead. He's taxidermied. But uh, yeah. Tinkerbell takes them all back to London. Uh, P- oh, Peter points uh, the lost boy. Uh, I didn't know until... It, Thudbutt. This, <laughs> this Thudbutt Thud is, his Butt name. is his name. His name is Thudbutt. Yeah. Poor child. Thud poor, poor child. Uh, and then, you know, like they get back and there's a tearful, you tearful know, goodbye. Reunion. Yeah, tearful goodbye. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, we get like, kind of, we didn't mention toodles losing the marbles and stuff, but we, there's a little nice little coda plant and payoff of, oh, I found your marbles and, you know, now you can fly, you 
You, you, you old, old, you, you dusty senile man. senile fucking crypt keeper asshole uh, who, who zooming around apparently London. Apparently going back to Neverland to have a second childhood. But you know what's going to happen is he's going to die. He's just going to die gonna in die. space on his way to Neverland. And, <laughs> and the lost boys are going to dump him into the sea. <laughs> and he's going to get eaten by some mermaids. Yeah, the mermaids just that's the end of turn turtles. into horrible sirens and just like eat him. <laughs> Like they grow yeah. piranha I, teeth. I do think a lot about death in this movie. I think you're meant uh, to. I, yeah, I think what, well, but I mean, like, I think about like the machinations of like men, men fighting boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like what happens? People get stabbed. There's, there's Rufio dies. He gets stabbed. There's no blood, of course, because they got to keep this. Yeah, there's a PG, very tiny but, amount, like, but yeah. And and he right, when he right. dies he says I you know what I wish I wish I had a a, a father like you and that's you know mm-hmm. that really is another part of the theme um, which is uh, I mentioned earlier um, movies a lot about nostalgia about like wanting to go back and revisit but then you know as Peter gets back he sort of finds that he can't go back you can't be a child again and then also he doesn't really want to because his happy thought. The thing that makes him fly now is his kids. Uh, so he has to leave and yeah. it's about looking forward. And it's also about being a parent and how like once you become a parent, your life becomes about your children. It's not about you anymore. Just sticking to theme, but also kind of talking about execution. We're going to see a lot of the, one of the first things that I noticed mm-hmm. in this movie. Well, actually, the first thing, because it's literally the first shot. Uh, this, this film starts with shots of children in the audience watching Peter and P- Peter pan the play uh you know maggie's play and i thought that that was kind of had a point like i think that spielberg has a point by doing this before he even shows us the play we hear audio of the play it's just there's like i think six or seven faces it's just child 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 right at their eye level i think this is him when i said one-to-one earlier with children in the movie i really think that this is the movie that spielberg is saying like all right, there's a bunch of stuff that's going to happen, but I'm going to like, you know, I'm going to squat down to your level kids and I'm going to say, this is a movie for you. And this is going to be a movie about stuff that you care about. And, uh, the execution is clearly Spielberg has always done a lot of like high angle, low angle to kind of like show different aspects of like, Oh, if it's an alien or like the status of like the scene or whatnot, but something that he almost always does because he does have children in his uh, movies as like the main, uh, you know, people, the main mm-hmm. a- actors in a lot of his films, uh, he he stays at their eye level, which is not something a lot of other movies do. Like if you look at how Christopher Nolan shoots children versus how Spielberg shoots children, and I'm just talking about like pick a frame. Look at the where, where the camera is. Is it close? Is it far? How wide is it? Is it high angle? Is it looking up or down? All these different things. There's a very particular way in which Spielberg shoots children. And it's. I think it's because he wants to, again, have this conversation with them more so than adults. It's like he's the he's the relative that comes to your Thanksgiving and he says, like, I'm going to choose to sit at the children's table. Why? Because, like, these – these adults suck, right? Am I right? And they're like, yeah, you know, it's like that. He wants to set up that rapport with children. And you can also hear it in his like audition tapes with children. When you hear him, you know, 
casting Elliot and E.T. in that famous kind of like YouTube clip. Like he is really talking to that kid. And that is something that I think is in not only in his wheelhouse. I think it's something that like he excels at. He might be the best at it uh, on, on this level for sure. Um, and I think that this movie does a lot of the tricks that um, we see Spielberg do time and time again to separate the and give a different point of view for, uh, mm-hmm. of children. I think that also that those opening images are also conveying that like how the story of Peter Pan is something that gets told to kids uh, generation after generation. And that this is the here's yeah. me telling kids my version of the story. One one last thing I want to talk about just in terms of execution is this time I just had the random thought about, uh, you know, we're t- we, may, we have a lot of remakes. Spielberg is pretty close to the chest about doing remakes, uh, but eventually th- something's yeah. going to happen. There's probably going to be a hook remake at yeah, some th- point right I think now, right? Or some point. I think they can't wait to remake Jaws. They're just waiting for, honestly, for Spielberg to die They're just so that waiting. they can remake Jaws. But like, it's right, never going to, yeah. I don't think they're ever going to remake his films while he's still around. No, I don't think they will. But I do think about what if this movie was made now? Because I saw it when I was watching, like there's a moment of celebration between the Lost Boys. Uh, and they're doing clearly like dance moves that are like very 90s. Oh, yeah. You know? And I was like, oh, he's trying to be like cool here. Like he's trying to make kids look cool, which is like, you know, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles does it all the time. And I think about if this movie was made now, the Lost Boys would they'd definitely be dabbing. Dab they'd be doing stuff. like the, the <laughs> like, flossing dance. They'd be doing all them Fortnite emotes. The flossing yeah. dance and stuff. God damn. And then I, and then I realize how old I'm getting because I hate that. Uh, but that's just so strange to me. Is that like when you look back at movies in the nineties, when you were a mm-hmm. child or I was a child, I didn't see that as like a, uh, like a, a gesture by an adult in order to like get points with kids. Now, because I have context, I see it in a, in a like kind of, with some criticism or with you know, some pragmatism, I guess, depending on how you look at it. And I'm like, Oh, this is, that's not cool. It's very, you know, <laughs> hello fellow kids. Uh, but you know, that's, that's always what Spielberg has kind of done. He always wanted to occupy that space. And in a way, I think he, he's more successful than most at it because he does know what's cool. Mm-hmm. Like and skateboarding it's, it's movies and stuff are less about that. <laughs> like those elements are in it. It's more about make having yeah, these conversations yeah. that are profound for kids. And I think that's why, uh, you know, yeah. Mm hmm making them have feelings as opposed to, you know, yeah. like, I don't know, yeah. Space Jam, oh the God. new Space Jam. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just tear my eyes out. Uh, I do love, there's a few other things that just on theme I did want to point out. I love that they did in this movie because uh, they make him mm-hmm. a lawyer and they do a lot of lawyer jokes. But uh, Maggie Smith at almost the first interaction that they have He's like, so what do you do, Peter? And uh, he's like, oh, he blows him out of the water. And like, oh, he's so good at his job and he's a lawyer. And she goes, so Peter, yep. you've become a pirate. Fucking <laughs> zooms like, in on her face. Ah, <laughs> Zoom. Yeah, it's just like, ah, oh, you uh, got he's it. A fucking you pirate. got it, Maggie Smith. Uh, so I think that the script is pretty smart uh, in a lot of ways. There's a lot of really good, like, 
kind of probably uh, on the nose. Some people might consider it sappy, but I think it's all in tune personally with the tone of the movie. So I, I don't know. Not, not at all. And I, I think, it. I mean, there was a lot of, wor- there was a lot of work mm-hmm. on this script, but um, a lot of the dialogue's really good. And, and like I said, there's a lot of direct references and uh, recalling of, of, scenes and conversations and elements of the original novel like if you if you go and read peter pan the book and then watch hook again it's a it really enhances it like a lot of stuff it's like oh that's what they're that's what they're talking about and that's what this is a reference to and they're continuing this conversation Mm -hmm. they had a hundred years ago with each other um, it really becomes it, like the the script exactly. really isn't bad, except in the in the middle. There's some parts which could it feels like it could have even been editing, where there's a lot of like I don't know, cutting around and stuff happens very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, when since we're talking about kind of more of the minutia mm-hmm. of it, do you want to move to the next segment? I think, that we I have think we set should. Up? I think I'm. I think my my my. Sp- feel sense is tingly. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is where we talk about behind the scenes trivia. Uh, I may talk about execution a little more because we're talking about like production notes and stuff like that. We're, we're, it's like, yeah, behind the scenes stuff that we're pretty good at knowing and maybe you'll enjoy this. This is a segment we like to call Teamwork Makes the Dream Works SKG. That's a deep cut. <laughs> yeah. Ah, yeah. Steel uh, boys! I, I want to... Uh, I want to say that when we were trying to crack the chestnut that is the names of these segments, uh, Tom was very gleeful when he thought of this one. <laughs> I am a big fan of it. I'm not taking away from it. But I will just say uh, it, it did it did warm my heart how much Tom loves yeah, that. I really that. forced this one. <laughs> oh, it's so good, though. It's perfect. And it's what we're talking about now. So start us off, Tom. Okay, well... um. This was uh, originally supposed to be a more direct adaptation or remake even of Peter Pan um, that uh, started development in the mid-80s with Spielberg attached. Uh, I think he was attached from maybe 85 to 87, like for a, for a, a good while uh, in the 80s. But he walked away from the project because his son Max was born. Um, and he wanted, right. and I believe that was his Kinda first apt, child. Right? Um kind of aptly yeah. given the content of it's the very, movie. It's very appropriate because he walked away from the film because he's like, I want to spend time with my kids. I don't want to, with my with my new son, I don't want to be off working. Fucking and then, of course, that is such a huge element of, of what Hook is about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's perfect. Wholesome as fuck, Stevie. Wasn't this planned to be originally a musical? He did, uh, I think, when it became Hook and he came back on board uh, because the project... Obviously, this isn't a Peter Pan adaptation. Um, it started getting developed in that direction by Nick Castle. None other than Nick Castle. The shape himself. Nick Castle. Uh, the, the man who plays himself. the shape slash Michael Myers in the original Halloween. Frequent uh, John yes. Carpenter collaborator Nick Castle yes. was going to direct Hook. <laughs> oh. Yep. I don't want it. I don't want it. Let's be clear. But amazing. <laughs> but I mean, like, <laughs> amazing. Yeah. He, he was attached to the project for a while and then uh, was basically taken off of it because he did not get along with Robin Williams or Dustin Hoffman. Um, but Spielberg came on board and was toying around at first with doing it as a musical. And John Williams wrote all of the songs 
Like he wrote, I think, seven or eight songs, and two of which are in the film. Uh, the, the song that the kids sing mm-hmm. at the play and the song that Maggie sings, uh, the When You're Alone song. Those were two of the songs that John Williams wrote mm-hmm. when this was supposed to be a musical. Yeah. Uh, not the most memorable songs no. in the thing, though. John Williams always impresses. Uh, to me, the most memorable one is... Dun, 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 oh, yeah, dun, the hook dun, theme. Bum, bum, and yeah, the main the theme of this movie, the... It's like almost... He basically mm-hmm. rips himself off later with the love theme from Star Wars Episode Two. It's like the same. Oh, yeah. John, John Williams is the best at that. You just know that he's just like at his piano, or he was at his piano... Just looking at his own, like looking at his old, you know, uh, notes, you know, and just being like, oh, yeah, I'm so yeah. fucking good. I should, I should steal from the best. God damn. Just yep. horny ass. He's a, he John is Williams at full mast. Um, quoting himself. He's, he's at full mast. Constantly quoting himself throughout his career. Yeah, it's kind pretty of amazing. Great. But he, you know. It's he kind of knows what to do. There's an interesting thing about the score Uh, here that I noticed um, the last few times I've watched Hook, um, but really didn't kind of sink my teeth into it until this time around, which is that for the first 30 minutes of the movie, you know, the first act of the film where it's just Peter and his family in the real world. And it's like, oh, what a what it's, it's all about. What a screw up of a father he is. The score is very light and superficial and kind of fluffy. It sounds like the score to like a John Hughes movie or almost especially almost, like, yeah, especially the early stuff. Like especially like yeah, the first yeah. Half of the film. It's, uh, I'm thinking of um, the, a lot of piano. Yeah, it jazzy sounds like like when he's shit. trying to make it to the baseball game on time. It sounds like a sitcom score, mm-hmm. um, and with little yeah. bits like little little hints of the actual score to come that seep in. And then of course, as soon as he gets to Neverland, that's when it John Williams the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. that there's something he's doing there. Of or course, th- I think that's intentional to make like the whimsical on one side, you know, and the first ha- kind of half or third mo- of the movie is like yeah. mundane as fuck, very TV, TV not feeling, deep. Like it know? does, it's not evocative. It's it's very forgettable. Mm-hmm. And then of course, when he gets mm-hmm. into Neverland, the themes become more memorable and more evocative and more emotional. And there's this the score to this movie right. is very good. I think it's one of his best ones. <laughs> Which is, it is, and kind of reflecting that back on Spielberg, an interesting notion that when you read about his thoughts at returning to this film, uh, he's very happy with the work that he did at the beginning. Like, he's like, all the stuff that I do before Neverland, I'm very happy with. So, like, obviously choices like this. Uh, he, what he's unhappy with, uh, Spielberg has argued that he, he didn't feel that the technology was there. He felt like it wasn't big enough. Never, Neverland had to feel like, I think, when Spielberg watched like mm-hmm. Wizard of the Oz for the first time. He must have been like, it was, blew my mind because it like literally changed the game with color. And it's like, he was, he was looking for something like that. And what we got was a spectacularly well-produced production designed art direction, all that st- stuff hitting at the highest level. But he, uh, Spielberg argued that he was like, I wish I made this film with computers like CGI. He wanted it to be. I, I feel that like one of my um, complaints he, about hook is that I do. it feels like a set. Like it feels it Neverland's supposed to be mm-hmm. this sprawling fantasy world, but it feels very enclosed. 
Yeah. 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 He never really got to the level of Wizard of Oz and mm-hmm. the juxtaposition in that film, which is, I think, what he's looking for. And that's why he's kind of notoriously yeah, I, unhappy with this I actually movie. wrote down a, a quote um, from him that's related to that that I'll just say real quick. Uh, it's from a 2018 interview that he did with Empire Magazine. Oh, cool. uh, and it's talking about like this middle chunk. And he says, I felt like a fish out of water making hook. I didn't have confidence in the script. I had confidence in the first act. And I had confidence in the epilogue. I didn't have confidence in the body of it. I didn't quite know what I was doing. And I tried to paint over my insecurity with production value. The more insecure I felt about it, the bigger and more colorful the sets became. So he, yeah. It's so interesting. Spielberg, just as an aside, it's so interesting um, that ha- how colorful he is about talking about like the, this is what was going on in my mind. Not a lot of directors talk about like, I was in this place. I'm uncomfortable with this. I'm, I don't like this. I, I, I feel like I, I could have done better here and stuff. He talks about that kind of stuff a mm-hmm. lot. Yet he doesn't let media on his sets. One of the things that if you were to do Google search right now, uh, you don't see set photography of Spielberg sets because uh, he learned with Jaws very quickly. I'm not going to do that. Um, And I'm never going to allow people to like take photos of my sets, of my construction, of all this stuff. That's why it's almost larger than life in a way, because we imagine all of the production and machinations behind this huge production, but all of it is invisible yet. Once again, I don't know why, but just to bring up like Chris Nolan again, like everyone has seen kind of the, maybe not everyone because I'm kind of a film buff, but like a lot of people have seen like him rotating the apparatus of the hallway in inception, Mm -hmm. you know, like some directors like you to see it all and say like, look at how, impressive this show is he doesn't yeah and like you mentioned jaws uh, and a lot of people probably don't know that know this but jaws was like a production that went way way over schedule and over but over mm-hmm. budget so it was sort of like uh, almost obsessively covered by the media so he just he basically got beaten up about jaws for a full year before about it even jaws. came out it was it was a much different time where contingency was done a little yeah. differently uh, and he, it almost blacklisted him. In fact, Spielberg had very, in his early career, had a lot of issues with this. In fact, it almost killed his career a few times. Always is one of them, uh, surprisingly. 1941, yeah. uh, he went uh, like notoriously over budget. And this movie, he went like $30 million over budget. So... He, he had that relationship with studios that were it not that his movies just slayed at the box office, he would not get to work again because he, he was not very good. He, and he was very self-conscious about it too. He was insecure about going over budget. Uh, but he definitely did, does it, did it a lot. <laughs> yeah. And I think I didn't have uh, the notes about about the set specifically, but I seem to remember, and maybe you do. I seem to remember that this the sets of this film occupied something like three or four, or, or maybe even more uh, stages, like sound stages. Yeah, I don't know the number, but he they rented out the entire the the they rented out the entire like stage system, and they like uh, and luckily stages are built in a way that like you can kind of not take out walls, but you can move walls uh, between stages. And that's some of, especially in London, that's some of the, um, 
some of the stages are designed that way where it's like, oh, you're going to buy like two stages or three stages like mm-hmm. Game of Thrones uh, did that famously recently where they were just like, we're going to buy this whole place um, and and build a castle in it, basically. And uh, it, with this one, it was a very large set. That's one of the reasons that everyone was you know, talking about it is that like it was very very large a lot of celebrities wanted to stop by because it was like the only production in town at that point uh and there's just such star power behind it that it became kind of a thing that some people would just like uh stop by and it's you know like all the people in 1991 that you would expect you know like tom hanks and tom hanks know, was originally and, supposed to be peter pan in this Dude, there's so many really yeah. good ones of these. Because uh, we talked about it being a musical. It was originally going to be a vehicle for Michael Jackson. Uh, that's Michael right. Jackson, which been a, that would have been, been crazy. bananas. And like they had comp- like Spielberg but met he, with Michael Jackson. They had like conversations about it. Uh huh. Uh huh. Here's the other thing. The one that I got this time that I didn't catch like the last times that I've done a deep dive on this. Uh, for the role of Captain James Hook. David Bowie oh. turned it down. <laughs> Imagine Michael Jackson Holy versus shit. David Bowie. What the fuck? That's a that, totally different movie. I don't even know. That what movie to would have been something else. <laughs> oh man, can you that imagine what that else. film would have been? Holy can you shit! Imagine. Uh, so I looked it up. This was nine sound stages at Sony Pictures in Culver City. Nine. That is so actually just down the street from where I lived Sony. for five years. Yeah. So that's like yeah. all of Sony. <laughs> that's insane. It's not all of it, but like, yeah, that's a considerable amount of that whole lot. Uh, just for one production. That's not something that happens. Often. Yeah. That many uh, sets and, and that like, there's so many, like everything, everything in Neverland is, a set. I think everything, everything in London is even is a set. I think everything in this movie is yeah, a set. I think with mm-hmm. the exception of the ball game. Uh, yeah, everything's a set and you can, you can tell, you can tell, but it also has that magical, like, uh, there's aspects of some of these sets that you go like, Oh, you know, who's writing this down is people who work at Disneyland, you know, the designers of the rides and the, the lines that you wait in, like everything is scripted mm-hmm. to such an extent. Um, and that they're really good. They're highly paid production design teams were really uh, top notch. And that's why this thing looks like it does. Um, I kind of do want to say a word real quick about the photographic reason for why this movie looks like the way it does, just because I do know something about that. You may be wondering what makes the world of Neverland so magical in this movie. And you'll notice something you'll notice photographically is that all the light sources, like all the sconces, the candelabras, like the oil wick lamps and such, um, you know, they, they like Mm -hmm. bloom more, right? And you'll notice that the shine from gold and steel, like the shine of knives and, you know, just like, uh, you know, any piece of metal that's like in it feel more vibrant and more loud in terms of like distracting your eye. And this is done fairly simply uh, in the camera. Uh, What they used to do is they place a thin mesh like a fabric on the back of the lens so that light essentially what would happen is the photons would bleed and diffuse a little bit more. And that's why you'd get that bloom because literally light is hitting the photo uh, emulsion, uh, emulsion layer with a little bit more, like with a little bit more distance from the actual source. So it's not an exact one-to-one. It's like actually 
kind of just making it bleed a little bit more. And then that light hits the, you know, film plane. And um, in this era, they literally just use leggings. That would be perfect because the, the nice little thin fret threads would do a good job of dispersing the light. These days with digital lenses, it's a little bit more precise. And they're typically you need a, uh, like the lens to actually make a con- like a connection electronically with the, mm-hmm. co- uh, com- with the camera because they have sensors or they need to do like metadata or focus assistance or whatnot. Uh, so that convention kind of got rid of a long time ago. Now the way they do it is they just put a piece of glass in front of the lens and it's typically called something like a black or white pro mist. There's loads of different flavors, um, but it's going from like, you know, some of them barely noticeable to like what you think of when you think of soap opera, you know, like where it really bleeds. That's what we're talking about here. And Steven's, and Spielberg would do this a lot. And the other technique that he'd use is in not in camera but in the sets and this is probably why he got so many sets is that he knew that in order to make things magical and you look at things like labyrinth you look at things like legend Mm -hmm. uh, by ridley scott they all worked on sets as well because the control that you need in order to diffuse the light in a way to make it feel magical uh you need to have control of that space so a lot of stage work was done in places that looked outside um in order to bring in things like, for example, a shit ton of fog, they just missed up the whole place and they use like uh, something called a hazer, uh, which is like a fog machine that would provide this aerial diffusion to make the backgrounds look more distant, more epic, more fantastical. Uh, This is just all production design teams, set directors. And once again, if you just go to like Disneyland, you'll notice that they have hazers in there. They want you to feel like you're in, you know, like, Indiana Jones so that they make these kind of haze and you don't notice at first, but when you like take a camera and do both of these techniques that I talked about, it looks very much like something like Neverland. So I just kind of wanted to, you know, yeah, people no, it's definitely part of, of it. And it also kind of is a nod towards Peter Pan's history as a stage production in, in some ways. Um, cause yeah, yes, like even, absolutely. even like, uh, grandma Wendy's like London flat, that's a set. Like even the exterior of that is a set. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the yes, whole movie yes, is, is yes. kind of on stage, except for the scene where he drives up to the ball game and parks in a red curb, which you can't do, Peter. You're going to get a ticket. <laughs> yeah, but he, he, he don't got time for that. <laughs> he doesn't care. Uh, but did you notice this time? I noticed that the first time we ever see Peter in his office uh, he mistakes the name of an intern at the uh, that office scene. And the intern's name, we find out, is Jim. But he gets it wrong by saying Jerry, Jack, which is his yeah. son's name, right? So it's like, I thought that that was another clever, like, writing aspect, which is that they, uh, like, Jack is just another name to Peter at this point in the screenplay. Uh, I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah. A lot of good writing. Yeah, there's, uh, um, Carrie Fisher did punch-up work on this, I know. She did a lot of Tinkerbell's lines, is what I read. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. Also, she uh, she also has a cameo in this movie. Did we, did uh, we not bring that up? I forgot that we... Did we bring that I up? I can't remember. I She's smooching did. with George Lucas on the bridge when he yeah, first goes to I, Neverland. I think we did it off, can, uh, off, off mic, but yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll figure it out in editing, but like the idea being that on the bridge when Tink takes Peter to Neverland, they get crop dusted and they start floating up. That's George Lucas and Carrie Fisher. Um, that's cool. I guess, you know, uh, yeah, that is cool. Yeah. <laughs> get uh, him in there. Julia, Ru- 
Julia Roberts was notorious for having like almost a breakdown during this movie. Yeah. Uh, she like is famously like ran out of the production because she was, uh, who's she dating? Kiefer Sutherland? I think Kiefer at this point, um, she's coming right off of a uh, pretty woman. So she's like became one of the biggest stars in the world, uh, as this right. film was, was filming. Right. And, um, that there's kind of uh, a story behind she like ran away uh, and like Spielberg like was like, you, you ran away. <laughs> like I have to fire you. Uh, and they like worked it out. But I thought that there was a, a behind the scenes story that I read that I was kind of warmed my heart a little bit, which is that she at one point was hospitalized and oh um, yeah. And uh, Spielberg took the teddy bear from captain hooks cabin and gave it to Julia Roberts while she was checked into the hospital for exhaustion. Uh, and then he realized, and this is, this is just the cutest thing, though. Spielberg realized that he's like, oh, I need that to shoot a scene tomorrow. So he had the prop de- uh, department make a, like a lookalike in a few hours. <laughs> it's just one of those cute things that he brought a teddy bear to Julia Roberts and then realized that he was making a movie. And he's like, I got it. I need that teddy bear, but I can't take it back. That would yeah. be mean. I'm Steven Spielberg. I can, I can uh, have him make me a new teddy bear. Yeah, exactly. Um, I get uh, I get it. This can't be an easy role to film, but because she's tiny for every single scene in the movie, except part of one, she has to film all of her stuff by herself. And you can kind of, yeah, you can kind of see it a little yeah. bit in her performance where she, I mean, she, obviously she's still good. She's Julia Roberts, but she's, Julia but Roberts, she does a lot yeah. of like, like her eyeline often. It's like, she's, she's kind of looking around a little bit. It's like the thousand yard yeah. stare because you don't know exactly where we're reacting. It just so, yeah. Look so she looks like she's uncertain, even though she's still delivering these these lines and these mm-hmm. emotions, like you'd expect Julia Roberts to. Um, so mm-hmm. it's it, I, it it must it can't have been an easy role to film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it most definitely not. Uh, but she's still really yeah. good at it uh, because she's, yeah, Julia, she's Julia Roberts. Roberts. Um, what are other things? Oh, do. You, I'm sure you had caught this before, but Rufio at one point swings his sword and stops perfectly on Peter's yeah. face, right? The easy way to shoot this, because you don't shoot that. That's throw, yeah, you, you might you know, whack your star you, in the head and then... <laughs> you're going to slice him yeah. in the face. What the fuck? Uh, so they did this by reversing the shot, obviously. You hold the, you know, you hold the blade right at his face exactly where you want it, and then you just whip it back. And it's actually a really... One of the all-time great performances... Like the first half of the shot when you reverse it, uh, where he kind of like he like somersaults and like lurches forward. Um, And so in order to get that shot, he'd have to lurch backward and kind of like do this weird jump that he does. Uh, That's hard, like looks good forward, but it would be hard to do reverse because there's no cut in between those portions of the shot. So they have to, in order to keep it convincing, do that whole segment in reverse. You can tell on the tail end of the shot in the movie, he says like, uh, it gets close up to his face and he says, you're dead jolly man. And the mouthing of his words is not (laughs) quite good. Not exact. So you can tell it's ADR. Uh, which is just like recorded after the fact, but um, yeah, the uh, really good performance yeah, by Rufio. Rufio's great. 
Yeah, like that's a hard thing to do. The sword bit, which looks like the most impressive, it's the easiest bit, is the thing easy to do. Yeah, they part. do it all the time. Yeah, but lurching forward, like lurching back to make it look like you lurch forward, uh, like jumped in space. That's you know, got to hand it to him. There's one other shot that I wanted to call out that I noticed this time, and it's when it's Smee's epiphany, which is in the middle of this uh, ex- very funny scene between him and Hook, where Hook you know, threatens to kill himself. And it's, it's that funny bit where he's like, don't you dare try and stop me. Smee, Smee, mm. try and stop me. What are you doing? Smee, get over here. Yeah, it's so good. Um, and so when yeah. Bob Hoskins has his epiphany, he goes like, I've just had an apostrophe, you know, lightning has just struck my brain. The camera shifts mm. to a Dutch angle. Um, as he's having his epiphany, yeah. uh, you know, because it's the it's the it's the the power balance is starting to shift. They're figuring out a way that they can use Peter's kids against him, but it, it's all continuous. It shifts to the other side, like the Dutch angle switches to kind of it can't. It yeah, can't. Can't. that's that's yeah, the word. Uh, so it's like yeah. a ship rocking back and forth as he's having his epiphany, and mm-hmm. it was just. I never flagged it before, and I I noticed it this time. I was like, oh, that's an interesting way to do that. (laughs) Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's it's ship-like because it also, like, as it moves, as it moves, when it, like, hits its, like, end, it kind of, like, flops into place. Kind of like when uh, when a boat, you know, moves to one side, all the stuff on the boat moves and slams into the wall. And it's this kind of, like, violent kind of ending like as as he's um, figuring yeah, out the really, idea it settles really effective yeah it's that's really cool uh i think spielberg does a lot of that kind of stuff uh and that's kind of from his the old days it's also cartoons uh which we'll talk about more in different uh films as we get there it, we're getting kind of we're getting yeah. kind of late in this one i feel like i want to talk about i could talk about hook for another hour honestly um, but if there's any other uh, ones you want to get through before we maybe move um, to I don't next have anything segment. else that I had written down. Okay, good. Uh, well, this one we like to close <laughs> out, uh, and this is a callback to our previous uh, podcast that we used to do, uh, which is, yeah, technically we're just going to read you some log lines for the film. <laughs> is that all we want to say? I, I, I don't. They're yeah. technically log lines, but we like to call this segment "Close Encounters of the Word Kind." Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we do. Uh, that's another Tom Banger. Drink that, that is in. Another we Tom can say Banger. it. They're terrible log lines. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're terrible, they're log, terrible lines. log lines. That was the name of the previous thing. So. So we like to have a little fun here, you know, a lot of heady concepts. Uh, but here we go. Let's just like. I'll go do one, you do one. Uh, here we go. This is Close Encounters of the Word Kind. Uh, child murdering pirate returns to claim the tween that got away. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Uh, the Lost Boys get orphaned a second time. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, a tiny fairy gets to first base with a giant. But that is rejected. Ah, <laughs> oh, she is. Oh, man. Just so sad. A man blows a billion dollar deal and disappears into a child's fantasy world. <laughs> That's. Oh. Uh, <laughs> this whole movie could fan- be his breakdown. That whole movie could just be about <laughs> his work. melting just down because he blew yeah. this deal. Just loses like, any chances of becoming partner at his firm, you know, because his fucking dog buries his phone. Uh, okay. 
Uh, a family suffers child abduction, and the father begins to believe he is actually a flying boy. Oh, no. Which is absolutely true. <laughs> it's absolutely true. A senile old man disappears. Oh, oh toodles. <laughs> toodles, you dumb as fuck. Uh, I love toodles. Just, I hope he... I just have this image of him floating into Neverland, having already died during the during the journey. Just his mm-hmm. dead body floating down into Neverland. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just decomposing. Huge in the water. smile on his uh, face. <laughs> yeah, because he's so happy that he got to where he wanted to be. Uh, an adult easily assimilates and becomes leader of a pre-existing child cult. <laughs> He would. He would be. He would very easily overpower them. He, he really just overcomes them with just words. It's 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 harrowing. Um, a ninety-year-old lady really wants to fuck her grandson. Oh hell yeah! Mm. <laughs> mm. Oh, yes. <laughs> Let's get to it. I kind of have a similar one, but I phrased it from a different perspective. An eternal demon boy. Stockholm syndromes the young women of a family line for generations. He really does. Oh man, it's kind. Of <laughs> ah, that was that was my last one that I. Had. <laughs> yeah, then that's. Uh, I think that's. I think that's a wrap. That then. is. I think the. Well done on episode one. We did it. We've uh, done Tom. it. Uh, Spiel boys We've in the it. can. Oh man, this is. I. This looks like it's gonna be the beginning of a like just. Like a a, a a wonderful friendship, a terrific one, a, a terrific wonder- friendship, a terrific. Um, That's I'll it. say it. I think this is going to be the best show ever made. I agree because <laughs> it's got everything. It's got the boys, your boys. Yeah, uh, it does. And it's got Spielberg. It Come does. On. Shit. Fuck. Fuck. We're gonna get. We checked both boxes. That's all the things. Get strapped in because there's plenty more Spielberg where this comes from. Um, and I also want to give a note to, if you're listening to this, uh, this episode is being released for free on both of our networks. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we're going to do is we're going to release one of these a month and we're going to release them on kind of like if you've seen, uh, listened to our other show with our other hosts that run the things, <laughs> David Bell and Michael Swaim, they have a show called Star Trek, the next Futurama where they do a bi-weekly thing where they, uh, one, one for gamefully unemployed and one for small beans. We're going to do the same thing, but at the rate of one, one a month. Um, and that's the kind of plan going forward, right? Yeah. It's, 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 it's a joint, uh, joint network work podcasting venture so one month it'll be on gamefully unemployed and one month it'll be on small beans uh right but right. you lucky and ducks get this first episode for free oh, yeah. regardless of which channel just you're a, going to buddy just a, just a taste uh and yeah <laughs> so if you want to catch the entire run of Spielboys for the next like year or so uh that will just be like yeah five bucks to them five bucks to gamefully five bucks to small beans uh, and you get them all, baby. Mm-hmm. Plus, there's a whole bunch of other stuff. So I don't. You shouldn't just do it for this. Yeah, I mean, we've got a lot to offer. You know, a lot. I got a song in my heart. <laughs> we've know? got a whole pirate chest full of booty, full of audio Ooh, yeah. booty for you to listen to. Mm, and that's kind of that's kind of it. That's the that's the rub. That's what you're getting. I think everyone's clear. Yeah, I think yeah. I think we've made that clear. Um, <laughs> I think we've. Made, this I don't know how getting. to end this show. <laughs> Spielboys! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. I'll find an editing. Spielboys are watching CD's movies.
movies. Spielboys watching Stevie's movies. Spielboys watching Stevie's movies. Spielboys.